All right. Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, I see some of you looking a little bit tired tonight. Are you guys tired? Nobody's tired. Can't imagine why anyone would be tired tonight. But if you are really tired, you have two options. Um, you can stand in the side or back, or you can fall asleep. And I would welcome you to stand if you need to. Um, you can also just take good notes and pay attention that way. So those are, are your options for this evening. But do try to, to focus in the midst of... Uh, a weariness from a lot going on this week. Well, we're focusing on, on being careful how we walk from Ephesians chapter 5. We've, we've already seen Paul exhort us to make the most of our life, to live intentionally devoted to the wisdom of God and the will of God in every detail of our life, to be careful in that way. And, and last night we looked at making the most of our time, of living each day with an intentionality and a discipline to fulfill the priorities that God has given us. Tonight, we're going to focus on making the most of your singleness, of living this season of life that you are in with undistracted devotion to Christ. Why this theme? Well, the short and simple answer is because all of you, except for the leaders, are currently single. The longer answer, and what I hope you take from this, is because in Ephesians 5.16, Paul urged us to make the most of the time. And remember I mentioned that's not like every second that Paul was talking about, clock time, as much as it's the seasons and the opportunities that God has given us. And so what it means to be careful how we walk is to use each season of life or opportunity as the Lord intends. One author describes this word as a time that is suitable or advantageous for a particular purpose. Every season of life is suitable or advantageous for a particular purpose. We're in Colorado on a trip right by the mountains. It's a particularly suitable season for things like going down a tubing hill or skiing or snowboarding. There's unique things about being here that God has given us to enjoy. Every season of life we are to be intentional to use that season as God intends. We should be intentional with each one. Now, that includes the season that you are in now of singleness. Now, it's, uh, it's not that every one of you will be in that season for a really long period of time. How long you're in that season will certainly vary. But that's where you currently find yourself. And so we want to look at 1 Corinthians 7 which is really the most comprehensive passage on singleness in the Bible, because we want to think carefully about how to walk during that season of life. Now, 1 Corinthians 7 through 11 record Paul's answers to several questions that were raised by the church at Corinth. And so in chapter 7, he's answering a question about marriage and singleness and elaborating on those things. And as we work through part of this chapter, I want you to note five principles that will help you make the most of this season of singleness, but really that will help you as you go through various seasons of life to think about how do we honor the Lord at that season. Whether that's singleness, whether that's marriage, whether that's parenthood, grandparenting, thinking about those seasons intentionally and biblically. The first principle I want you to notice is that you are to glorify God in every season of life doesn't matter what season you're in, your chief concern is to glorify the Lord. Paul in this chapter is instructing the believers in Corinth how to live and honor Christ in various relationships. People who are married to another believer, people who have come to Christ since they got married and so are now married to an unbeliever who is wanting to stay married to them, or those who are married to an unbeliever who now wants to leave because their spouse is now a follower of Christ, or those who are not yet married. And in all of them, his chief concern is how does God call us to respond? What is God's wisdom and his will for how we should live and function in this particular uh, reality of life? Because that's Paul's chief concern in any situation or season of life. It's not just singleness, that we should want to honor the Lord and want to glorify Him. It's every area of life. We want Christ to be in the spotlight. We want Him to be the one that we are living for. Paul makes this clear really throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's, it's clear throughout the scriptures that God is to be in the spotlight. He's the one we are to live for and honor. 
In the following chapters, chapters 8 through 10, dealing with issues of conscience, Paul concludes in chapter 10, verse 31, and says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever season of life you're in, your chief goal is to honor the Lord. Why is that? Well, it's right because He's God, right? He alone deserves the glory. He alone is God and should receive the praise. And it's right because of what He's done for us. 1 Corinthians 6.20, just before this chapter begins, Paul says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. Because God purchased you, He redeemed you from your sin at great cost, the blood of Christ, you are now His. You are twice bought, as it were. You were His by creation and now His by salvation. And so you are to live for Him. And so we must begin with the consideration, am I committed to glorify God in every season and circumstance of life? If that's our fundamental big picture conviction, then we can ask, how do I glorify God in this particular season of life or this particular set of circumstances? A second foundational principle that undergirds this chapter is that you are to trust God in every season of life. We won't read this entire chapter, but pick up in verse 17. Verse 17, where Paul writes this. He says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. He says, regardless of, of whether you're married to a believer, unbeliever, single, as you are in that situation that God has assigned that God has called you to in His sovereign will for your life, in this manner let Him walk. And so he says, I direct all the churches, however one was called, and he gives a variety of different examples about that. Verse 24, he says, Brethren, each of you is to remain with God in the condition in which he was called. Paul's point is not you can never try to change your circumstances or try to move from a single season of singleness to marriage or other circumstantial changes in life. But his point is you should recognize that God has sovereignly placed you where you are now and you should trust him and be content in that. Regardless of what this season of life is, we're to be trusting God and, and content, whether that's singleness or marriage, joy or sorrow, sickness or health. Employment and prosperity, or unemployment and, and want, or a season of trial, or ease. Again, it's okay for us to seek to change those realities. Paul is not saying it's, it's sin to do that, but he is saying we should trust the Lord, and we should be accepting where God has placed us as we consider those things. John MacArthur writes it this way. He says, we should be satisfied to be where God has put us, to accept what the Lord has assigned us, and to be faithful in whatever condition God has called us. See, it's really this attitude, this trust in the Lord, that frees us to glorify Him in the circumstances of life. If we are content and trusting Him, we're not going to be so focused on changing our circumstances. We're going to be able to live in them well. And to say, okay, here's where I am, Lord. Even though I may desire something different, I want to live well here. And I trust you and I'm content in that. So if you struggle to glorify God in a particular season or circumstance of life, I would suggest you go back to these two foundational principles. Do you really have a desire to glorify God in general because of who he is and what he's done? And do you trust him? Or are you discontent with what he has given you? If you're content with where the Lord has you and you want to glorify God, then the, the next question you're going to ask yourself is, okay, what does that look like for this particular season? Which gives us a third principle that you're to carefully steward this season of life. You're to make the most of it. You're to say, okay, here's where God's placed me. Uh, how do I make the most of this? How do I steward this season of my life well? Instead of sitting around and wishing things were different about our life, we should seek to make the most of where God has us now. And that's really Paul's exhortation in the majority of this chapter for those who are single. Paul was single. In fact, he was excited to be single. 
and he was excited for others to be single. We see that throughout this chapter. Look back at, at verse 1. He said, concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Some debate whether this was Paul's words or the question, but Paul uh, affirms that. He says in verse 7, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am, talking about his singleness. Verse 39, he he says, a wife is bound as long as her husband lives, but if her husband is dead, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. But in my opinion, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think I also have the Spirit of God. He says, it's a good thing to be single. If in God's providence you're single, Paul says this is a, a gift from the Lord. It's something to be embraced. Why? Well, because this season involves A, there the unique opportunity for devotion to Christ. If you want to make the most of your singleness, you need to recognize that God has given this to you as a gift for whatever length of time that is true for you as a unique opportunity for devotion to Christ. Singleness provides the unique opportunity for undistracted devotion to Christ, according to Paul in this chapter. And he highlights this by contrasting some of the realities that are true for someone who's married versus someone who is single. In, in verses 26 to 28, he highlights that marriage brings various troubles in this life. Look at verse 26. He says, I think then that this is good in view of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Paul's possibly referring to just the general trouble that comes in a fallen world, but more likely to the specific circumstances that were true in the early church, some coming persecution and things. And so he said, it's good to remain as you are. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. If you're married, don't try to get divorced. Are you released from a wife? Don't seek a wife. If you marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. He says, if you're married, stay married. If you're single, I'd recommend you stay single. Now, if you get married, it's fine. You're not sinning. But he says, you will have trouble in this life. What is he talking about? Well, again, he's most likely talking about the complications that will come in that specific context. But the reality is, when you get married, you now have a responsibility for someone else, and oftentimes for children. This is not a simple reality. For you guys coming on this ski trip, what did you have to think about leaving home and coming? Well, mostly what fit into your bag that you were bringing with you. You might have had to ask off work or something. You had, you know, talk to your parents about it. You had to pay money. For Brandon and Amanda, what did they have to think about? Well, they got kids at home, right? They think about, like, what is Lawson eating this week? And will he live to tell about it? You know, like, they, they had a layer of details to think about that were more complicated than your life. Again, is that a bad thing? No, it's a gift. Children are a gift. Marriage is a gift. But it is a reality that marriage can bring challenges and troubles within the marriage because the responsibilities that come with marriage, with the loss of marriage from the children that often come with that. And marriage, to a degree, brings distraction in this life. Look how Paul continues in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And his interests are divided. The woman who's unmarried, the virgin, is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. See, the reality is, when you are married you are concerned about pleasing your spouse. And that's a good thing. It's a right thing. It's not wrong to want to please your spouse. But it does complicate your life to think of someone else in that manner. Again, it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a gift and part of God's design, but it's a reality. When you are married to someone, you are rightly giving consideration to them, to their perspective and opinions, to the desires that they have, and you are seeking to please that person. Again, this is a good gift from the Lord. It's part of His design it, it, that marriage not only brings this distraction and, and troubles, but a tremendous opportunity for companionship and sanctification and service and impact, but it's not easy. So you may sit here and say, I just want to be married. 
I, I, life would be so much better if I was married. And I, I just want to get out of this season as fast as I can. Paul says, the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. You need to embrace where God has you right now. And then if God provides that, you embrace what he's provided then. One writer said this, he says, younger singles usually fail to appreciate the reality that being single means being free from a whole range of burdens and sorrows. The single person has no day-to-day -day worries about raising children or working out issues with a spouse. It's very distressing to see single people bitter, angry, and torn up by their single state. For if they only opened their eyes, they could find great advantages in being single. That's Paul's point. There are advantages to being single. How is singleness a blessing? We'll look back at verse 32. What did Paul say? He said, I want you to be free from concern. One who's unmarried is concerned about what? The things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. He says, because you're single, you don't have to think about what I need to do for my kids, what I need to do with my wife. Your thought is, what do I do for the Lord? How do I live for the Lord? One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord. Now, the reality is that doesn't happen automatically, right? Just because you're single, does that make you totally devoted to Christ? It doesn't. There are a whole host of things that can still distract you when you're single. Paul knows that. He's not speaking to that here, but he's saying that we are to be focused on the things of the Lord. You tell me, what are some things that can easily distract single people from being focused on pleasing the Lord? Maybe not you. Maybe some other single people you know. Work, yeah, can be a distraction. The, the desire for wealth or promotion is focusing on building a career, all those things. What else? Nothing else. Yes. Friends, Friends yeah. Relationships can be a distraction at times. What else? Girlfriend, boyfriend. Okay. Girlfriend, boyfriend. What else? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Social media, entertainment, all the things that, you know, video games, all the things you can spend time on when nobody else is saying, hey, you should do this and you've got all sorts of time that you can spend. Yeah. All kinds of things. Worry about the future, just selfishness, all the maybe bucket list experiences that you want to have at this season of life when you have more opportunity. There, there's all kinds of things that can distract us. Because the freedom that comes from being single can either be used to fulfill the desires of self, because there's no one else saying, hey, you got to do this. I mean, there's parents and others, but there's, there's not the same depth of relationship with others that are forcing you to do things. Or you can live with that freedom that comes from singleness to say, man, now the only voice in my head telling me what to do and how to think and what to how to live is the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. You have a unique opportunity. Many people, as single people, live very self-centered lives. And the longer they stay single, the more self-centered they become because they don't have the sanctification of marriage. Paul says that ought not be the case. We should use the freedom and the opportunity that comes from singleness to be devoted to the things of the Lord. Guys, it will never be easier to be devoted to the Lord than when you are single. Your spouse will help you and encourage you in that, and there can be a great blessing in that. But you, right now, this is a prime season of life for that. Verse 32, Paul said, I want you to be free from concern. One who's unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Skip down to verse 35. Paul says this. He says, this I say for your own benefit about the, the priority and and blessedness that comes from being single, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. He says, I say this for your benefit. This is for your advantage, for your good. Singleness may feel like a disadvantage, like a losing proposition to you. It may feel like God is withholding something good from you. But Paul says, no, this is not to put a restraint. It's not a, a trap. 
It's a good thing. It's appropriate. It's esteemed. Why is that? Because the goal of singleness at the end of verse 35 is to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. This idea is only used here, this word, and, and it's the idea of constantly attending to, of, of sitting constantly by or devoted to Christ. That's how you should be towards Christ. Utterly devoted to Him. Now, the reality is all Christians are to live with that devotion. In fact, if you read verses 29 and, and, uh, and 30 and 31, you'll see that Paul makes that point that we should all, whether we're married or not, have that level of devotion to Christ. But all Christians are to live that way, but Paul says singleness provides a unique opportunity to cultivate and develop that devotion. Think of it this way. As you are single, you get to build those habits and patterns of life that, re, that reflect the, the entire devotion to the things of the Lord. Then, hopefully, you find somebody else who's doing that same thing. And what do you do? You get married and you continue on that path together. That's the intent. Or you never get married and you continue living in full devotion to the things of the Lord. Now, what does this devotion look like? Secondly, let's think about the clear priorities of devotion to Christ. A life of undistracted devotion to Christ will be characterized first by the pursuit of intimately knowing Christ. Verse 32, he said, how he may please the Lord. If you're going to please the Lord, you need to know the Lord, to have a relationship such that you know what brings him pleasure, what he delights in, what he loves, so that you can reflect that in your life. You know, if you want to please your boss at work, what do you have to do? You have to get to know them and find out what do they expect? What do they want from me? How do I satisfy them as an employee? If you are devoted to Christ, if you want to please Him, you will prioritize cultivating your relationship with Him so that you know Him and can please Him. Philippians 3.8, Paul said, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Not talking about just knowing about Christ, but knowing Him, a real deep, intimate relationship with Him. Guys, it's easy to think that a spouse will satisfy your need for a real, deep, intimate relationship. And while a spouse is an incredible gift of the Lord, your chief and primary relationship, even if you are married, is to be with Christ. If you are not satisfied with Christ before you get married, you will not be satisfied when you get married. Use your season of singleness to pursue intimately knowing Christ. Spend time with Him, reading and meditating on His Word, talking to Him in prayer. You will never have less distractions than you do now for those things. When you're lonely, first seek out Christ. Let that be your primary relationship. Yes, value friends in the church and fellowship with others, but run to Christ. A life of undistracted devotion to Christ will be characterized by the pursuit of intimately knowing Christ, and secondly, by increasingly being like Christ. Notice what he said in verse 34 again. He said, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. He says the one who is single should be concerned of the things of the Lord and that will be reflected in the holiness with which she lives. As we get to know Christ, as we gaze upon Him and learn of His character and, and see His nature, understand His will, we will long to and will in fact be transformed to be more like Him. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. As we see Him, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. As you gaze at Christ, as you get to know Christ, you should also seek to be like Him, to reflect His character and His will and His word in your life. As you use your season of singleness to pursue increasingly being like Christ. Don't tolerate sin in your life just because it doesn't seem to affect others as much as if you were married or had kids. 
Cultivate patterns of putting off sin, renewing your mind, putting on righteousness. Do not tolerate sin in this season of life. Use it intentionally to grow, to become like Jesus. That's what it means to live with undistracted devotion to Christ. It means we are pursuing intimately knowing Christ and increasingly being like Christ. And third, faithfully serving Christ. Again, Paul uses this phrase that you, you are concerned about the things of the Lord, that you have an undistracted devotion to Christ. This strongly implies the idea of serving. I, I mentioned it has the idea of attending to someone, uh, of being ready to meet the needs of that person. Obviously, Christ has no needs, right? It's not like Christ is sitting there just hoping you or I will do something because if we don't do it, it's not going to happen and he's really desperate for our help. That's not God. God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us, but he does give us the privilege of serving him, of being used by him. So don't use your singleness for selfish ends. Use it to faithfully serve Christ first as part of his body in the local church. Guys, everyone has been given a gift. If you're in Christ, you've been gifted by Him and have a unique opportunity as a single person now to serve one another in the context of the church. It's great to attend and to be regularly involved in the church. That should be the basic non-negotiable of your life. But you are called to serve, to use your gifts for the building up of the body. And you have opportunity to do that formally as a part of the church. You know, it's, it's exciting to see the number of college students, 128 folks, that are heavily involved in ministry in our church. And that's exactly what it should be. We should say, okay, I, I've got a season of life where maybe I'm not ministering as much to a spouse or to children. I'm going to use that time and energy instead to serve others in the church. And that can be formally, Ministries like Awana, other places, it can be informally, just using your gifts to encourage and edify others, focusing on others as you interact at church, reaching out to new folks who come to, to Roots, building relationships with those who maybe are, are newer in Christ, being faithful to serve as a part of His body. It's also serving Christ as His ambassador, as His representative in the world. Paul was devoted to taking the gospel to places it had not been known. And, and that was one reason why he chose to remain single, was so that he could go and proclaim Christ without having to think about a wife or, or children. In 1 Corinthians 9.5, he says they, he does have a right to take along a believing wife. It wouldn't be wrong for him, as the rest of the apostles did, and as Cephas, Peter did, and in, in 1 Corinthians 9.23, though, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. He, he made intentional choices so that he could proclaim Christ. Use your singleness, this season of life, to be faithful to tell others about the gospel. That may, again, be more formally taking advantage of opportunities to be a part of evangelistic outreaches and things where you can do that more easily. You can spend an evening going and sharing Christ with people on your campus or other places in a way that may be more difficult in future seasons of life when you have a wife and kids. There are places in the world where the gospel needs to be proclaimed and it would be probably foolish or impossible for someone to take a wife and children with them. You know, if you are single, you have more opportunity in ways for, for ministry of evangelism and discipleship than what others may have. It goes the other way as well. There are, are blessings that come from the season of, of marriage and opportunities that come there. Not saying all of the single men in this room should pack their bags and head to North Korea or something to share the gospel, but maybe some in this room, that is what God would call you to, to go to a difficult place using the stage of singleness as an ambassador for Christ. Maybe it's just things like talking to a coworker when it requires staying late or grabbing a meal after you get off work when you, know, you don't really have somebody waiting at home for you, wondering when you're going to get there, ready to eat a meal with them. You can do those things in a way that is faithful to the Lord. So do not view your singleness as anything other than God does. 
as a good gift and a unique opportunity. And seize that opportunity before you are married. Guys, if both you and if the Lord gives you a future spouse, enter marriage with a commitment to such devotion, and, 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 and you have practiced that in the season of singleness, it is far more likely that, that you will sustain that in and through your marriage. Don't waste that gift and opportunity. Don't waste your singleness. Don't use the freedom that you have as a single adult simply to please yourself. Use it for His glory. Seize the opportunity the Lord's given you for undistracted devotion to Him, intimately, or pursuing intimately knowing Christ and increasingly becoming like Christ and faithfully serving Christ. Yes, singleness is a good gift and a unique opportunity to cultivate undistracted devotion to the Lord. And yet, God also says, Marriage is a good gift, right? That it's not good for man to be alone. That God has designed us to function in marriage relationships. And so we're going to grapple when we're single with desiring and considering and preparing for marriage. Giving thought to questions like, should I want to get married? And should I consider getting married? And how do I prepare for that? And who should I marry? And all those things, which leads to a, a fourth principle that you are to wisely consider future seasons of life. You guys, you can both be content in the season you are in, as God has called you to, and you can consider future seasons of life. You can give thought to that. Now, we need to do that well. We need to do that carefully, but we ought to do that. See, while singleness is a good gift and some like Paul will remain in that season, the overall expectation of the Bible is that most will get married. We see that in God's initial command to mankind. If we had more time, we could look more at what the Bible says about marriage, where God said, be fruitful and multiply, which clearly indicates that the primary pattern is that of marriage and families for most. Adam and Eve established the normative pattern for mankind, that, that a man is not, it's not good for a man to be alone, that he needs a helper suitable for him and that they come together in one flesh as God intends. So in some ways, it's reasonable that our base expectation would be that of marriage, which I think is one reason why Paul spends so much time in 1 Corinthians 7 highlighting singleness is because it's easy to say, oh, everybody should get married. And therefore, when I'm single, my only focus is getting married. And Paul says, no. In, even though most will get married, singleness is itself a gift to be used to please the Lord. So Paul recognized this. Look at verse 7 of chapter 7. He, he knows not all will remain as he is. He says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Paul didn't walk around judging everybody who was married and saying, how could you not be more devoted to Christ? He understood God has given that as the gift to many and to others the gift of singleness. So how should you wisely consider the future season of marriage? We don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but I want to give you a few thoughts and would encourage you to ask yourself several questions. The first is, am I gifted for singleness? MacArthur writes, if singleness is God's gift to a person, if that person is submissive to God, he or she can live in singleness all of life in perfect contentment and happiness. Now, you don't necessarily need to think of being gifted for singleness as a lifelong vow before the Lord. There are, are people in the scriptures like Anna in the Gospel of Luke who was married and then widowed early and so lived a long-term life of singleness after having been married. She didn't make a mistake getting married. It was that the Lord had that as a season for her. Some have long-term singleness and then get married later in life, which is a gift of the Lord. Now, for some, the gift of singleness is a, a lifetime gift, but it may well be a gift for a season, either because of your own conviction that, that you have a, a, a desire to serve the Lord in some specific ways, or because of God's providence. Some of you in this room may say, I don't think I'm gifted for singleness, but that doesn't mean that the Lord has provided someone of the opposite sex who also is eager for you to enter into marriage together. 
And so you may be in a season of singleness that is not necessarily meaning that you will continue in that. So we need to understand clearly what it means to be gifted for singleness. And, and it doesn't just mean that I, I want to be single. There, there are actually wrong reasons to want to be single. You can be selfish and say, I, I think I'm gifted for singleness because I really don't want a relationship with someone else because you just like living how you want to live. You like the freedom to spend your time and your money how you want to. You like the freedom to have all the details of life, your life, go how you want them to and not have to consider someone else. Or you're just immature and don't want responsibility or commitment or you don't want to risk pursuing a relationship. So you may be content being single, but for selfish and immature reasons, that's not the giftedness of singleness that Paul is talking about. What is, does it mean to be gifted for singleness? Well, it's, it's chiefly if you have a, a greater desire to serve Christ in the variety of ways your singleness affords than to be married. If you say, I see the benefits of singleness and I am eager to continue to live that way in devotion to the Lord, the Lord may have that for you. If you're able to spiritually thrive and live a life of mature wisdom as a single adult, you know, it's not good for man to be alone, but it's worse for some than others, frankly. Some men need more help and benefit more from others, and, and they, they clearly are, uh, are not gifted for singleness in that way. We also see in this chapter the idea of burning with passion, of, of the struggle with, with uh, uh, a sexual desire. And, and Paul says in, uh, in the early verses of this chapter that if that's the case in verse 8, I say to the unmarried and to widows that it's good for them to remain as they are or as I am, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry. It's better to marry than to burn with passion. So for someone who doesn't have that, who is content serving the Lord, they may well be gifted for, for singleness. But if those, things are, uh, if those things are true of you and you continue to grow to maturity and God does not provide a spouse for you, continue to embrace that and, and serve Him in that way. But if that's not true of you, if you strongly desire marriage, you recognize your clear need for a helper or to be one, you do burn with passion, and, and yet you don't have the opportunity to get married yet, embrace that season of singleness, but don't stop being open to God providing marriage for you. So if you say, I don't believe I'm gifted for singleness other than perhaps the, the temporary reality that God has placed you in, you need to consider why do I want to get married, as there can be selfish reasons to desire marriage as well, which brings us to a second question to ask ourselves, which is, am I content in my singleness or consumed with marriage? Again, Paul said that each man has his own gift from God. God is the one who gives us these seasons of life, singleness and marriage. And we are to trust God in the midst of that season. If you are so focused on marriage as a chief goal and desire in your life that you are distracted from, from Christ and loving Him, that should be a, a warning light in your, in your head and your heart as you consider that. We could rephrase that question maybe to put it more clearly on our hearts in this way. Am I content being undistractedly devoted to Christ? Or am I consumed with marriage? Am I content with Christ, or do I believe that I'm somehow lacking if I do not also have marriage? It's possible for marriage to be an idol. Rather than trusting and being satisfied with God, we're worshiping marriage. How do you tell if something's an idol in your life? How do you know if this good desire is too strong and it's too consuming for me? Well, the, the simplest way to, to know that is, are you sinning in order to get it, or are you sinning when you don't have it? So if you are, are anxious and worried because you don't have it, that's a warning light that, oh, this is something that's too strong of a desire for me. Or you are sinning in order to get it. You're trying to be manipulative to get a relationship, or, or maybe ladies dressing immodestly to attract attention, or any number of things that would be sinful to try to get marriage. That's a warning light that says, wait a minute, I need to get my focus on Christ first and then pursue that. Yes, marriage is a wonderful gift 
but it will not bring you the fulfillment and satisfaction that only comes from knowing and delighting in Christ. Singleness provides that unique opportunity. We need to embrace that and then pursue marriage as God intends. Which leads to a third key question, which is, am I ready for marriage? Am I ready for marriage? Here's the typical pattern for a Christian who gets married. They tend to think, you know what, I'm fairly selfless. I've been sanctified maybe by siblings over the years, and now I'm a fairly selfless person. And then they get married, and they realize not so much. I just had enough control over my life that I thought I was fairly selfless, but I was really just kind of getting my own way a lot. And I get married, and it's like being squeezed as a sponge, and sin comes out because I'm still selfish. And then you go through a season of growth and working on those things, and then the Lord gives you children. And children squeeze you even more, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm even more selfish than I thought I was. Um, and so, in one, on the one hand, you will never be ready for marriage in the sense that you are totally sanctified. There are sanctification that happens only in the context of marriage, and you will, you will benefit from that when you're married. Marriage is one of the means God uses to grow us, but it's reasonable to ask the question, am I ready to honor God in marriage? And frankly, that has more to do with the trajectory of your life than where you have arrived as yet. If the trajectory of your life is, I am devoted to Christ, I'm growing in my knowledge of Him and my likeness to Him, when I see sin in my life, I confess it and I work to put it off and put on righteousness, that's what I'm striving for, and I'm growing in my service of Him and in my understanding of marriage and its purpose and and what God intends, and I'm committed to living as God has called me to. If that's the case, then you can honestly say, yes, I am prepared for this. Not because I know everything about it, not because I'm perfect, but because that's the pattern of my life as I pursue this. If you say, well, I'm content in my, while I'm content in my singleness, I'm not convinced that's God's long-term gifting for me, and I, I desire marriage, and I see myself growing towards that, then I think a fifth and final principle is helpful for us, which is you are to intentionally prepare for future seasons of life. Again, it's not only right for us to consider them, to say, should I be looking for and moving towards a different season of life, but how do I prepare for that season of life? The reality is you prepare for marriage by living faithfully and growing now. But let me give you some specific ways you can do that. The first is to pursue Christ more than you pursue marriage. Doesn't mean it's wrong to pursue marriage, it's actually right to pursue marriage. Especially if you are a young man in this room, it is very appropriate for you to pursue marriage and you will probably not get married. I can probably say it more strongly than that. You will not get married if you do not pursue it. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Don't expect to find a wife if you aren't looking and pursuing, right? You need to pursue, and it's right to pursue that if you are, are in a position of life where you say, yes, that is right and appropriate before the Lord for me. Pursue it, but in that pursuit, don't lose your focus and priority on Christ. Pursue Christ, and then as you are pursuing Christ, pursue marriage. So pursue Christ more than you pursue marriage. Secondly, develop selfless love for and right thinking about others. If you want to enter into marriage and honor the Lord, you need to cultivate selflessness and love for others and thinking rightly about relationships. Don't view people as a means to an end. If you enter into marriage thinking I'm so excited for what this person will do for me, and that's where your thinking stops, you're, you're not going to honor the Lord well in that marriage. Now again, you should be excited for that person and that relationship, but you should also be really excited for what you will have the opportunity to do in loving and serving that other person. That's what 
Paul says in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, loving others well, sacrificing and serving them well. Cultivate those things while you are single. Third, practice purity in your mind and body. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Friends, we need to be practicing purity prior to marriage. Marriage is not the solution to sexual impurity. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 reminds us it is God, the will of God your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. As the solution to struggling with lust, with pornography, with masturbation, is not marriage. It's biblical sanctification and self-control. You need to be pursuing and practicing purity and mind and body as you prepare for a future season of marriage. Fourth, cultivate biblical character and communication. Cultivate biblical character and communication. Be growing to be more like Christ and in particular in how you communicate. Now that doesn't mean that you have to be the world's greatest communicator before you get married, but you need to understand biblical principles of communication. If you read the book of Ephesians, you'll find that Ephesians chapter 4 comes before Ephesians chapter 5, right? That's a real, uh, I'm tired too, so sorry about that. Uh, you know, that's a pretty obvious thing, right? Well, Ephesians 5 has a lot to say about marriage. Ephesians 4 has a lot to say about our character and our communication. You need Ephesians 4 before you get to Ephesians chapter 5. Another key is to establish patterns of wise financial stewardship. Establish patterns of wise financial stewardship. One of the blessings of being single is that you get to use the money that you have as you choose. You, you think, do I want this? Do I have the money? I'm buying this. When you enter into marriage and the responsibility of, of doing life together with a spouse, of leading your family, ultimately your children, financial stewardship is a key aspect of leadership. This is true of both young men who want to provide for a family, who want to lead well in that way, but also young ladies. If a young man asks you to join him in life, guess what? He's not going to start off probably with as high paying of a job as your dad did. All the things you ask your dad for money for that they say, yes, absolutely. That's what dads say all the time, right girls? Not always. Um, but it, it's, that may not be the case when you are married. You may not have all the disposable income that you have as a single person living in your parents' home once you get married. You need to prepare for that by establishing patterns of wise financial stewardship, not just to prepare for marriage because that's how we should live. And we want to live maturely before the Lord, even in these seasons of, of singleness. Also, invite counsel and accountability from mature believers, including your parents. As you prepare for future seasons of life, invite counsel and accountability from mature believers. As you prepare for marriage, welcome that feedback from others who are mature. If you live at home, you may sit down someday Say, Mom and Dad, can I go out for coffee with you? I'll, I'll treat because I've been managing my finances well and I'd love to do that for you. And you take them out for coffee. It may be at McDonald's or something cheap, but that's okay. And, and you say, you know what? I, I have lived with you for a long time. I'd love to know the things that I do living with you that I should probably seek to grow in before I start my own family. What are some patterns and habits and practices that might be helpful for me in that way? Those sorts of things, of thinking intentionally about the counsel and accountability that you can get from others, including your parents, or other mature believers, to take them out and say, hey, I'm, I'm single, I'm content, I'm serving the Lord, but I'm looking forward to that season of marriage. Help me to think about what are some key character qualities that, that you've seen are really vital for that, or some, some ways that I need to be growing in communication that I can think about, and you can help me to grow in, in anticipation of that. 
And then lastly, pursue real godly friendships with other believers. Don't get so focused on marriage or on a relationship that may lead to marriage that you neglect other relationships in the context of the church. And recognize that the principles and patterns of friendship that you cultivate are what will be the basis for your marriage relationship. Your spouse should be your best friend, and you should treat them in the way that God calls you to treat them as in other relationships, to pursue real godly friendships with other believers, and know that that will ultimately, in many cases, be the, 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 um, the foundation of the relationship that one day leads to marriage. You know, every story is different and unique. For Christy and I, we enjoyed um, so a, a deep friendship before we got married. We enjoyed seasons of singleness, of devotion to the Lord before we got married that laid the foundation for the marriage and relationship that we have today. So guys, make the most of your singleness, whether it lasts a number of months, a number of years, a number of decades, seize that opportunity to be undistractedly devoted to Christ. And in God's providence, as you are doing that, and one day you look over and it's like, hey, there's a guy or a gal who's doing that too. Let's continue to do that together. Rejoice in that and be prepared for that and be ready for that. And if that doesn't happen, keep running hard after Christ, making the most of this season. So let's be committed to be careful how we walk, careful how we live, to be intentional day by day, moment by moment, making the most of our time and the, the, the season of life that we in are in living in accordance with the wisdom of God and His will, including the specific instruction He gives to those who are single. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for the joy that it is to study Your Word, and I thank You for the unique season of life that these um, here are in that of singleness, I pray that it would be a sweet season for them of undistracted devotion to Christ. Lord, help them to love you, to pursue you, to serve you faithfully. May the patterns that they establish now, may those be what continue and only deepen in the future as you provide a spouse for many of them. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for your word. Help us to be careful how we walk, Lord, even this evening on the bus trip tomorrow and as we re-enter life this coming week, Lord, help us to establish good patterns of thinking and, and managing our life and time in accordance with your priorities. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen.